0: podcasters. Welcome back to Mr. Stroud's history class. I'm going to begin as I've been doing for the last few podcasts with a shout out. And this shout out is for Dana Hillen. Now if you've listened to every podcast you may have heard her name before and the reason she's getting a second shout out is because of the ing in a word. When I get through with a podcast, I send them to my Facebook friends just to let them know one is available. When I sent one to Dana, after a few minutes, she responded with one word, with an exclamation point. That's a word I can spell because it's only three letters. She responded with this one word, yay. I messaged her and told her she did not know how much that meant to me because I've said it before and I'm going to say it again and again, no one listening to this podcast has to listen to it. When I first started, I thought a few former students might listen for a little while and for her to answer, yay, and I told her with a message that really meant a lot to me. And she messaged back that she really enjoyed listening to him because it reminded her of the times in my class when learning was easy and fun. And I told her that was worthy of a second shout-out. Now, Dana, I want you to cover your ears, one hand on each one, and go la-la-la-la-la-la-la because I'm going to say something, and you don't need to hear this, okay? La, 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 la. All right. I hope every teacher has students like Dana. When I was in class and I saw her sitting there, I knew it was going to be a good class. Now, there are other students, and there are podcasters that are like this, but because I'm giving a shout-out to Dana, a second shout-out, I wanted you to know that's the type of person that Dana is. Now, Dana, you can remove the hands from your ears and stop going la-la-la-la-la-la. Okay, second shout-out is to someone who was never a student I've not known very long, and I do not go around and tell people about my podcast. I don't do that. But in talking with them, if something comes up where they say they're into history or something, then I mention it. And I was mentioning that I had a podcast. And this young lady said that she was going to begin listening to them because, and this is the reason, she said, I love learning. I'm going to say that again. I love learning. Her name is Carmen. And Carmen, I am so thrilled that you are now a podcaster, and I hope you still love learning. So Dana and Carmen, I cannot tell you how much it means to me that you are podcasters. Now, this podcast is for the Siege of Vicksburg. All right, now there's going to be things I tell you podcasters that I do not want to leave this podcast, and this is one of them. Okay? I taught in the classroom for 43 years, and not one time did I teach Vicksburg. If you remember the podcast, I got in a hurry last time. The day that Lee retreated from Gettysburg, July 4th, 1863, Vicksburg surrendered, and that's normally what I do. The Mississippi is taken. Now the Confederacy is divided, and that's it. Podcasters, I cannot emphasize how wrong it was just to leave Vicksburg like that. And so what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to remind you that the best way to learn about this is to get a book and start reading. I cannot tell you what's in those books. And I'm certainly not going to just start reading, reading them to you. One of the books you could get is a biography, one of the latest biographies on Grant, American Ulysses. But this is what I did, just like I did with Gettysburg. Someone says, I want to write a history book, and I want it to be a bestseller. What should I write about? Remember, Lincoln's dog, veterinarian. Oh, no, I want to write a battle. Vicksburg, Gettysburg. I told you to go to Amazon.com. I counted 40 books on Gettysburg. I did it differently this time. I didn't go to Amazon. Those are the ones that are available. I just went to the Google machine. I cranked it up. And I typed in books on Vicksburg. Vicksburg Battle Books. And I did Gettysburg. I am amazed. With Gettysburg, I counted 45. With Vicksburg, I counted 55. Ten more books on Vicksburg than on Gettysburg. And I'm going to tell you, the reason I'm going to do this is because it's one of the greatest campaigns in the history of warfare. And it says a lot about Grant. It also says a lot about Abraham Lincoln. And what I'm gonna do is just kind of give you an overview. I wanna remind you about the animated maps. Just do Vicksburg, they got plenty of them. Also, cause I'm gonna tell you now because if I wait to the end, I may forget about it. Uh, years ago, I used to go to a Civil War symposium at Hill Junior College in Hillsboro, Texas all day long. Podcasters, can you imagine the excitement? We had to pay. It wasn't free. You had to get your reservations and get them in early because it was sold out. All day, we would hear lectures on Civil War generals and battles. Most of them were Confederate. I don't believe I ever heard one on a Union soldier. And what I had discovered is you can have the joy of doing one of those symposiums right in the comfort of your home by going to booktv.org and typing in Vicksburg. And you go down and you see where there's a symposium on the Vicksburg siege. And by doing that and doing the animated maps, you will be quite a historian on the siege and battles of Vicksburg, Mississippi. And you're also going to see how a symposium is working. And the gentleman doing the presentation, he also does a shout out. And so you go to booktv.org, type in Vicksburg, you find that symposium, and you enjoy it for about an hour. You'll see what it's like. Then... Do the animated maps. And then, heaven forbid, go to a library or purchase a book on Vicksburg or a biography on Grant. Okay? Now, again, this is going to be sort of like an overview because I've used the illustration, the analogy of throwing a rock in the river and you got all these little ripples going out and you got to talk about all of them. And there's 17 ripples, and you talk about 14, and you miss three of them. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to just kind of give you some of the highlights of the Vicksburg. The siege, the campaign, and then you do the animated maps, booktv.org, and you are going to have the experience of Vicksburg. To begin with, Vicksburg was an extremely important military target. General Halick, the commander of the Union armies, telegraphed Grant that he wanted Grant to take the fortifications at Vicksburg, Mississippi. And strategically and militarily, he said, Vicksburg is worth more than 40 Richmonds. Worth more than 40 Richmonds. Have you ever heard easier said than done? Oh, podcasters, I want to tell you right now that I cannot help it. I'm going to go in and tell you right now that when I say taking Vicksburg, somewhere in my mind I read something, and I'm going to share it with you right now. I don't know where it came from. I tried to find it. I don't know. It goes like this. Many have tried, a few have died, trying to climb the Matterhorn. And for some reason, whenever I think of the Vicksburg Campaign, that comes into my mind. Now, how are we going to do that? How is Grant going to do that? To begin with, the commander at Vicksburg is a gentleman by the name of Pimbleton, John Pimbleton. And John Pemberton is one of about 45 Confederate generals that were born in the North. He was born in Philadelphia. Went to the military academy. How many have we said Mexican War? I will tell you again. If you know the Civil War and you read about the Mexican War, you're going to see names like old friends. Instead of generals, they were lieutenants. And I remind you again. There was a book on the Mexican War that I read called Training Ground, and it was basically about these future Civil War generals. He had a few brevets, maybe one or two. And then, after the war, he met and married a Southern belle. And when it was time to choose sides, I believe it was his brother that stayed with the North, And he waited for a little while, and his wife wrote him and said, Jefferson Davis has a commission for you. What's taking you so long? So he comes over and puts on a gray uniform. He gets stationed in Charleston, South Carolina, and he starts criticizing some of the people there, and they write to Jeff Davis, and they want him out of there. And so Jeff Davis puts him in Vicksburg, Mississippi, as the commander. And there he is with about 30,000 Confederate soldiers. Now, Grant's problem is how do you get to Vicksburg? Because he got to get across that river. That river's about a mile wide. Have any of you been across that river? Try to get across it in 1863 with an army of 44,000 men. And so what he's going to do he's going to have to use the navy it was called the brown water navy these were special ships you can get on the internet you can find paintings of these ships in this battle and this siege these are ironclads many people may think there were only two ironclads the monitor and the merrimack the merrimack was actually the css virginia when the battle took place in 1862. The Brownwater Navy was made up of ironclads. David Porter, flag admiral, was the commander of that squadron. Same rank as Grant, so Grant could not tell him to do anything, no orders, but he could ask him. And he asked him to do something. I want you to take your ships, and you got to go right under the guns of the Vicksburg Arsenal. And the Vicksburg Arsenal was about six miles of trenches. Now, I forget how many cannon there were. Did I need you to get south of Vicksburg so you can get my army across that river. And Porter said he would do it. I believe it was April the 30th, 1863, on a dark night, with his ships 50 yards apart, they started floating past the Vicksburg fortifications. Vicksburg opened fire on them. One ship was sank, the Henry Clay, And somehow they got through. They're going down to a spot called Hard Times Landing, and that's where they're going to meet Grant's army. Grant's going to then conduct the largest amphibious operation in American military history until the Second World War. He's going to have to get 44,000 men across that river. Those soldiers are going to get on everything that will float to get across that Mississippi, and I'm sure it's not going to be at one time. Now, if we were in class, I would simply ask a question. How many of you have actually made an amphibious landing? Raise your hand. I didn't see any hands, but mine went up. When I was in the Marine Corps, yes, I was in the Marine Corps. We specialized in amphibious landings. And the hardest part of the amphibious landing is getting down the side of that troop ship with a cargo net into a Higgins boat that's moving around and bouncing just because we're out in the middle of an ocean just about. Now, I don't know the details, but when I read that he had an amphibious landing, and that's like four or five words, I think about everything that encounters. But he was able to do it. Another thing he's going to do, he's going to have so many diversionary attacks and movements that Pimpleton is not going to know what's going on. There's going to be more things for Pimpleton to worry about than he can shake a stick at. And one of them is this. Now this was before the landing. And this has to do with friendship. And this was the friendship of Grant and Sherman. In fact, I read a book about it called The Friendship That Won the Civil War, Grant and Sherman. There was another famous friendship in history, Washington and Lafayette. Lafayette, the French nobleman that came over to America, served with Washington without pay, looked upon Washington as a father figure. Washington looked upon him as a son. Read a book about it. Now, this is what I'm getting at, podcasters. I'm going to admit something. I'm going to do it again. This is not to leave this podcast. Do you understand? Don't you ever tell anyone what I'm going to tell you. I read about Washington and Lafayette, Grant and Sherman, and I would tell people I could not see anything about a friendship. But what I'm getting ready to tell you about Sherman and Grant right now, that's when it hit me. And what did hit me? What hit me? This. How do you write about a friendship? So this is what I want you to do. I want you to think of the best friend you have right now or the best friend you ever had. I want you to get a piece of paper, and I want you to write down And let's just do one sentence. And one sentence, I want you to write down why that was your best friend. And you show it to someone. Do you think for a second that that person who reads what you just wrote is going to understand the friendship that you two have? That's the way I was with with Washington and Lafayette, and Grant and Sherman, until what I'm going to tell you right now. As a diversionary attack, Grant wanted Sherman to attack a Confederate fortification that he was not going to be able to take. It was going to be a defeat. This is Haynes Bluff, 30 miles north of Vicksburg. Sherman wrote back, he said, now I'm paraphrasing, this is going to be a demonstration, I know that, a diversionary attack, but we're going to lose, and the papers are going to be telling everybody at home that we lost this battle, and the people at home are going to be demoralized, the soldiers will be demoralized. He wrote that to Grant. Grant answered, listen to this, I understand, I leave it to you, I leave it to you, and here it is, podcasters, are you ready for it, get ready, because this is when it hit me about the friendship, he answered Grant, he said, I'll do it for you. And the people at home, they can find out in due time. And I will make sure my soldiers know that this is simply a demonstration. I'm going to say that again. I don't want to do it, but I'll do it for you. And that's when it hit me. That's the friendship. And so that was one diversionary attack, although that was in April 29th and May 1st. And he did get thrown back. The Confederates were delighted, they were delighted, but you know what? It worked, because Pimpleton thought that's where the real attack was going to come from. Now, if you think that's a good enough diversion, listen to this one. He had another officer, a colonel, by the name of Garrison. Benjamin Garrison, now, I'm going to spell it because my pronunciation G R I E R S O N. He was a con- Union cavalry officer, and he's going to take 1,700 Illinois and Iowa cavalrymen, and he's going to ride the entire length of Mississippi from north to south. He's going to ride 600 miles. From LaGrange, Tennessee to Baton Rouge, it's going to take him from April to May to do this. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I've mentioned it before. Somewhere I read in a book that was fiction, historical fiction, and the interviewer asked the author, how do we know what's real and what's not real, what was true and what was made up? And he said, that's easy. If it makes perfect sense, I made it up. If it makes no sense and could not happen, it did. Listen to this. When Benjamin Garrison was a young boy, I believe about eight years old, a horse kicked him in the face. He never got over that. He was terrified of horses and did not like horses. Now, here it is. Why in the world would that man become a cavalry officer? Because he did. He did. And he is going to ride from one end of Mississippi to the other, and Grant said he is going to tear the heart of Mississippi. I mean, Pimbleton had his eye on this raid, he was tearing everything up, he was cutting communication wires, he was tearing up anything that could be used by the, the, by the Confederates, he rode in a zigzag motion so that the Confederate cavalrymen would not be able to find him, would not be able to determine where he was going to, 50 of his men wore Confederate uniforms and they went ahead to get the best roads and everything, Now, would that not be a good movie? It is. And who would play Garrison? John Wayne. And the name of the movie, The Horse Soldiers. Now, because I'm older than dirt, I remember The Horse Soldiers when it hit the theater in Henderson, Texas, the Strand Theater, 1959. How much did it cost to get in the theater in those days to go see the movie? I believe it was like 15 cents. Popcorn was a nickel. Coke was a nickel. And I mean to tell you, John Wayne was coming to that theater in the movie on the screen. And the lady selling tickets had on a Yankee cap and the one selling popcorn had on a Yankee cap. And I knew they were Yankee caps, but John Wayne was a Yankee. And that movie was based not on the real Raid, but on a book of fiction about that Raid. So if some of y'all want to see it, and I mean it is about Garrison's Raid and all that, he inflicted five times the casualties. He freed the slaves. And listen to this, podcasters. He stayed in the army after the war. And he organized the 9th U.S. Cavalry, which was made up of black soldiers, known as Buffalo Soldiers. So you got Garrison Raiders going from one end of Mississippi to the other. You had Sherman attacking 30 miles north of Vicksburg. You got Porter coming down south of Vicksburg. And now you got Grant's army moving across the Mississippi And rather than turning toward Vicksburg, now if we were in a class, as Dana and others know that had me in class, I would have a simplified map of all of this. And I would be sitting in that chair and I'd have my laser and I'd be moving that around. Grant wasn't moving toward Vicksburg. He was moving away from it. He was moving toward Jackson, Mississippi. And at Raymond... John Gregg's brigade tried to prevent Grant from getting there, and they were easily brushed aside. And I'm going to mention Dana and other podcasters who live in Texas. Gregg County is named for this Confederate general, John Gregg. Now, the ladies of Raymond were sure that they were going to defeat the Yankees, and they had a big feast waiting for them. But the gentlemen that enjoyed the feast wore blue uniforms and not gray uniforms. And then they go to Jackson. And he neutralized Jackson, meaning he destroyed everything that could be of military use. Now he's turning back toward Vicksburg. Pemberton takes his army of about 30,000 men out to try to stop Grant before he can get to Vicksburg. And they fight the battle at Champion Hill. Now, of this sea, of this campaign that I'm telling you about, this is the bloodiest battle. And the battle lasted for quite a while. The Union soldiers were thrown back. They counterattacked, and eventually, the Confederates start retreating. And one of the Confederate officers, he put in his diary about Pemberton, and he said. If there was ever a battle that showed the value of a general, it was Champion Hill. Pemberton, indecision, indecision, indecision. The reason for that indecision is because Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, told him to hold Vicksburg. And Joe Johnston, a senior officer, told him, Vicksburg wasn't worth it to come and join him, bring his 30,000 men to Joe Johnston's army. Indecision, indecision, and the decision he made was take his army into Vicksburg, and that sealed his fate. At six miles of defenses, now you can see this on the internet. These were trenches. And to trap them there, grant has about 21 miles of trenches it's going to be a siege grant gets impatient now in the book biography of grant the most recent one i read american is they have a a map and grant's going to have 13 approaches toward vicksburg these are going to be trenches But Grant wants to hurry up and end the siege. So there's going to be two assaults. One of the assaults is going to be on May the 21st. And they're going to be repulsed. It's a pretty bloody repulse. But in that assault, Sherman was watching. It was his men that were doing the assault. And in that assault, with all these bullets flying and people going down, wounded and screaming in pain, there's a 14-year-old drummer boy. His name is Oren Howe, H-O-W-E. And Sherman saw him. And he was going back because the 55th Illinois had the wrong cartridges and they needed the fifty-eight caliber cartridges. So drummer boy Howe was going back. He was then coming back up to the 55th with the cartridges. Sherman's watching this, and Howe gets wounded. He goes down, and Sherman yelled for him to get to the medical attention, and he told Sherman the 55th Illinois needs ammunition. And Sherman said, I'll see that they get it. Now you get some medical attention. How will get the Medal of Honor? He won't get it, I believe, until 1895, but he gets it for that. Now, one of the things is why did it take so long? I don't know. Well, here's something else somebody has to recommend him for the Medal of Honor. And I would bet you that was Sherman. He's 14 years old, drummer boy, but he's not the youngest man in that 55th Illinois. That is the distinction of his younger brother. Now, what would his daddy say about all this? Well, his daddy was the commander of the band. His mother had died, and so the whole family there was 55th Illinois. They were repulsed. Grant's going to try again. This one is so dangerous. It's nothing but volunteers, and no married man can volunteer. The volunteers have to be single men, and it's going to be one where they go through these trenches. They carry ladders. They do all of that. And some were, and I don't know how. The, I don't. It's going to be called the Forlorn Hope. F R O L O N. It's a suicidal attack. Now, who came up with that term? When did they come up with that term? I don't know. But you can Google that term and you'll find it. And they're not going to make it either. They're going to have tremendous casualties. They're going to be, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to look for the exact number. There's going to be about 150 medals of honor for the Vicksburg campaign. And some of these include sailors. Half of them were awarded to soldiers who participated in the Forlorn Hope. Now what you can do is you can, in fact, this is going to be a homework assignment. Just do this. Get on the Google machine and you Google Vicksburg Medals of Honor. And podcasters, you're going to see in alphabetical order every person that received a Medal of Honor, what unit they were in, when the Medal of Honor was awarded, and what the citation is. And most of those in the Forlorn Hope was volunteered gallantry in the charge, volunteered for the charge of the Forlorn Hope. Oh, they don't, they don't use that word. but Grant's not in Vicksburg yet. Those men in Vicksburg are getting awfully hungry. The civilians are living in caves. The soldiers are down to eating a half handful of peas a day. And I have to believe those are black-eyed peas. And one night, Pimperner saw a piece of paper slid under the door. He looked at it, and it was very simple, very short, very much to the point. Feed us or surrender us, signed many soldiers. He couldn't feed them. And so on July 3rd, 1863, White flag started going up at the parapets. Pemberton wants to negotiate a surrender. Now before I end the Vicksburg, there's something I need to mention. It took part, it took place during the digging of the trenches and all. And the reason I'm going to mention this, it, I'm going to tell it to you then you'll see. Grant was walking along the lines, and Grant did not wear general outfits. He did not wear swords or anything like that. He just walking along, had on a private blouse, a soldier's jacket that was a private. And he saw a soldier whipping a mule, and he told him to stop. And the man whipping the mule turned around and saw this soldier standing there, and he started yelling and cussing at him. And Grant had that man arrested and brought to his tent. When the man came in and saw the man he had been cussing out was General Grant, he apologized. He said, Sir, I did not know who you were. And Grant said to him, Oh, don't worry about me. I can take care of myself. That mule cannot. So why am I telling you this? Well, Grant didn't like that man whipping that mule. But this When that soldier said, I did not know who you were, I did not know you were an officer, I certainly did not know you were a general. You may and you may not know this, but I'm going to tell you, there were ways you could tell the rank of an officer without actually seeing the rank on his shoulders. And the best way, when that soldier looked at him, would have been the way the buttons were on his jacket. A general officer would have had double row of buttons spaced. A private, a single row of buttons. Also, no sword. Swords not only were used for combat, but mainly were used so you could identify who these officers were. That's why when I did that book and not only inscribed Union swords, but Civil War sword presentations in the newspaper there are countless more swords presented than there are revolvers. Those swords were military, and they helped determine the rank. But there they are, July the 3rd, and those white flags are coming up. Now, during all this time, Lincoln had gotten a hold of Grant, sent him a message, Now, the reason I got quiet, how do I say this? Podcasters, this was a pleasant surprise. And Lincoln said he no longer wished for the freed slaves to be referred to as contraband. He preferred they be referred to as freemen or free people. Now that is a term that's going to be used in Reconstruction. I've read that term and it's freedmen, not free people, freedmen is what they came up with. And I never knew until when I read it in the American Ulysses that that was because of Lincoln. They negotiate the surrender and Grant has a question he's got to answer for himself. There's going to be nearly 30,000 Confederate soldiers surrendered. Are they going to be prisoners of war? Are they going to be paroled? Grant paroles them. Now, what that means is, they're going to be given a parole a piece of paper and on their word of honor they're going to go home and then they're going to pick up weapons and they're not going to fight anymore until they are properly exchanged and what that means is and people it was worked out like this one colonel for a colonel one private for a private well You want to give us back a colonel, we don't have a colonel. So if you don't have a colonel, then you got three majors. It was literally worked out like that. A general would be worth, say, three colonels. One colonel would be worth three majors. One major would be worth three captains. And you had to be literally exchanged like that. Now, if you said, I'm going to go back anyway, and you got captured, you would be executed. That way, Grant didn't have to worry about feeding these people. But here's something else. Those Confederate soldiers were starving, and those Union soldiers gave them food. They shared their rations with them. When Grant takes Vicksburg, that's when Lincoln starts thinking about this is the man that's going to maybe win this war, and there's something else I want to mention. After Grant took Vicksburg, Lincoln sent Grant a message. And that message was this. Now, it's a little bit longer than what I'm going to read you. I'm going to just read you the end of it. You listen to this. A President of the United States to a general. This is Lincoln. I thought you should go down river and join General Banks. And when you turn northward, east of the Big Black, I feared it was a mistake. I now wish to make this personal acknowledgement that you were right and I was wrong. I'm going to say that again. I wish now to make personal acknowledgement that you were right and I was wrong. My goodness, podcasters. Grant is going to be the one that wins this war. Now, I'm going to tell you a few other things. And I promise you this. What I'm going to tell you now, the only place you're going to hear it is on Mr. Stroud's History Class, the podcast. Okay? Here we go. When my book, Inscribed Union Swords, was published in 1983, yes, that was in 1983, my family, my kiddos, my wife, we packed up that car with books in the trunk and we took off on a book-selling tour that went from Kilgore, Texas to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And we hit the back roads because we went to the towns, we went to the libraries, and yes, I went to the Vicksburg sell some of the books to them for their gift shop. And while I was in Vicksburg, after making a few sales there, I looked around the artifacts that they had in the museum, and there was this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sword. It was silver hilt. Now, there was no identification cards or anything, so I looked as best I could, and there was an inscription. And the inscription looked like the name Pimbleton. So I walked over to the lady, had on the Smoky the Bear. And I said, is that Pimpleton's sword in that case over there? And she said, no, his sword is there. And she pointed at a a plain Jane cavalry sword that was hanging in a special case. So I thought, well, maybe I just misread it. So I went back and I got her that looked like Pimpleton. So I went back and I said, I think that's Pimpleton's sword over there. And she said, no, it's this one here. I went back. That was Pimpleton. So I went back. And I told her, I said, would you mind coming over and reading that? And she went over and looked at. well, I guess he had two swords. Podcasters. That was a silver-hilt sword presented to him by the city of Philadelphia for participating in the Mexican War. I even found out years later that in 1847, it cost $120 to get that on the scabbard or the battles that he was in it's silver it's just beautiful coming back from the book selling tour I stopped at Vicksburg and guess what all the artifacts are labeled and so if you go to Vicksburg and you look at them and you read what that artifact is that sword that revolver then I want you just to say to yourself thank you Mr. Stroud we're not finished going on a tour of the battlefield and you can see this you can look up vicksburg state park on the internet and you can see the statue of grant on his horse but what you will not be able to see is what i'm going to tell you when i saw that in the car looked up and i saw it i said to myself wait a minute and then i said to the family wait a minute, I got out of that car, and I climbed up there, and I was right, the sword he has on that statue is not an army sword, that is a navy sword, that's a navy sword, now how do you know, on the navy sword on the bottom, the drag, it's a dolphin, square knots, another dolphin up there on the grips, And the only thing I can say is that the man that did that sculpture, that statue, either did not know or did not care. But he needed a sword, and some sailor said, hey, use mine. And so Grant's sitting on that horse with a Navy sword, 1852 Navy officer sword. And there's one more thing. When I was doing the History of Ector's Texas Brigade, ECTOR. I was in the Henderson Library trying to get whatever information they had on Ector because he, he joined the Confederate Army from Henderson, Texas. And I saw an old 1930-something newspaper and there was a sculpture of Ector in uniform at Vicksburg, and I said, whoever was there, I said, he wasn't even at the Vicksburg. Actually, he was, I didn't tell you this, but Joe Johnston showed up at Jackson, Mississippi with something called the Army of Relief to try to help Pemberton. He was too late. Ector was there. But still, I asked the lady, I said, where is the statue of General Matthew Duncan Ector?" She said, just a moment. And she reached into the file, and she pulled out an old index card and said, um, he's up there by the entrance, by the gate. So I went back up there and kept, no, he's not. He's not there. Oh, she said he was in 1930-something. The park has changed since then. But I did ask, I said, why is there a statue of General Ector here? And she said, Honey, if they got the money, we'll put it up. But where Hector is, and he's next to General Gregg, he's off the battlefield, and when we were there, he was guarding a Texaco station. Now, you can see that statue by doing this. I ain't going to the library and getting a copy of my book because the dust jacket, that's the cover, is that picture that Sarah and Ben and I got in the pickup and we rode all the way down to Vicksburg and Sarah, one of us, got a broom and we had a clean General extra up and I took a photograph of it. And that's the cover of the book. If you don't want to do that or you can't do that or they don't have a copy, go to Amazon.com, put Extra's Texas Brigade and you'll see a picture. There's one or two copies left. You can see a picture of it there. Now this is what I'm going to finish with. Animated maps. BookTV.org. Go down to where the symposium is on Vicksburg. One other thing, too. There is a book on Garrison's Raid called The Real Horse Soldiers. And this is what you can do. Go to Amazon do that. And this... Listen to the audio, and you'll get about three minutes. That sounds like a great book. I've not read it, but it sounds like a great book. Jefferson Davis called Vicksburg the Gibraltar of the Confederacy, worth more than 40 Richmonds. And now it's in Union hands. But Grant isn't through yet. He's got another battle to fight before he gets command of the Union Army. And so, have a good day, podcasters. Do your homework, and I will see you again on the next podcast and like us on Facebook. Have a great one. Bye-bye.